okay, if you know anything about this show, you know that I looked to talk to some of the fiercest women on the face of the earth. And very rarely do you get to sit down with somebody as profound as Gabby Reese, the mother, wife, professional volleyball player, New York Times bestseller. Let's just keep it going. Co-founder, co-innovator of Laird Superfood, host of the Gabby Reese show. Also Nike's first female spokesperson and the only person to outsell Jordan shoes. Do you think- But that was only for a couple of weeks. Calm down with that stuff. Are you kidding me with that? It was like his his shoe must have been on an end cycle, and it's like mine mm. first came out. Oh, I love I love that excuse. That's that's for sure the one I'm looking for. Are you and, kidding me? And Tinker Hatfield was my shoe designer. Who oh, I all the Jordans. So I mean, okay. early. Okay. Anyway, um, no, you should you should preach about that consistently. <laughs> I told my husband this story, and I said she worked with Tinker, and he went, "What?" I know. If you're a sneaker geek, he's your God for sure. Yes. I mean, do you look back at your life and ever wonder how fast and how quick and all of these accomplishments, have you ever thought, sat down and really thought deeply about them? No. Mm -mm. (laughs) No. Really? Why not? I think for whatever reason, even when very, very young, like in college, I think I always understood I was just really fortunate to get to and that um, I likened it to kind of being given the baton and that it was your time to take care of that baton and that doorway and that hallway and that it isn't you and that I got to be the one to have fun and do it. And so um, and then also if you're going to be moving forward and looking forward um and hopefully while trying to be present here and there um that you're not really going like wow that happened your answers are so brilliant because i would think after working and doing some of these incredible things that you've accomplished in your lifetime and you are still quite young you are still on a mission you are still ch- shut it you are still changing kind of the outlook of our world in so many different areas it would be hard to look back i could understand that looking back could for you after listening to your book i say listening because i listened to your audiobook and it was a little bit wild i didn't expect some of the things i heard i didn't expect the way you spoke to come out of your mouth i don't know what i thought but there was some real, real in that book and it was pretty profound. And from a mother, a wife perspective, it's got to be one of the most raw, honest books I've ever heard. And I appreciated it a lot. Well, I feel like if you're going to write a book and say, you're going to talk about it, then you better talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise you're wasting everyone's time, including your own. So for me, it's, it's it you ever watch those shows and they're like coming up next find out how to just turn back the clock 10 years and do all the stuff and then you watch the segment and you go they didn't really tell me anything mm-hmm. uh, you know you don't want to write books and 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 uh do that to people that would be willing to invest any time in in you no fair enough i mean it makes sense but in hindsight looking back is there anything in that book you wish you didn't write No, I mean, it's probably different now. My opinion might be a little different. I think on the parenting side, I've changed a ton. Mm. 
because I, my kids had not been, were not even teenagers yet. So I would say I would do an addendum. I've softened probably quite a lot. And I don't mean in the parenting side. I mean, in the will it, force it, push mm -hmm. it side. I think there's a part of me that has really um, softened because I'm, I've become a little bit more hip to the illusion that I somehow can control it. So I think that that has really um, mild down in me a bit. I want to talk about how you got to where you are, because you are a mother of two humans that you pushed out and another plus one human that you got, which is, I love the way that you describe that whole situation and the rawness of what it means to be a step parent and those insecurities that come along with it, which I can't say I've ever heard anyone talk about. So let's get into a little bit of your background for those who don't understand or just living under a rock, because I'm not sure how you couldn't know who you are at this point. You started in volleyball, you're six foot three. You are quite literally the tallest person I've ever stood next to. Um, so can you talk to me how you got into volleyball and how that became a big part of your life? So I, I dabbled a little bit in volleyball. I grew up in the Caribbean and then um, I moved my junior year to St. Petersburg, Florida. I was already six, three at, at 15 and oh. I went to this really tiny little Christian school called Keswick Christian. I walked in and they're like, you're playing volleyball and basketball. <laughs> and I'd already dabbled uh, in volleyball. So I, I was like quite curious about volleyball. And um, yeah, so I, I played for high school and I played in a two club tournaments for a club out of Tampa Bay. Some really great coaches there. I had no intention of going to college, um, no interest not an abundance of of money to do that and um started getting offers to play in college so within you know kind of an 18 to 19 month period my whole life was really different so I moved there and then by my end of my senior year I'm actually contemplating going to college on a scholarship ended up going to Florida State um played for a woman named Cecile Renaud Dr. Cecile Renaud who is still my very dear friend and I always joke that I kind of learned how to play in college at Florida State, like learn the game on the fly. And um, I had a very good college career and I simultaneously uh, actually got in the fashion business. So I ended up paying to play. I gave up my scholarship after my sophomore year and uh, I sort of lived that double life for a couple of years. And then after college, um, I think cause I was still sort of really new to the game. I really had fallen in love with it. And then I got the opportunity. I picked up the beach game. I was living in Miami. I picked up the beach game. And after about a year or give or take, a woman there was like, you know, you should move to California and try to play professionally. I was like, okay. And that's how it went. And um, there's a lot of players. I was one of two players, not from California on the tour, unless you were like from a different country, like Brazil or something. And, um, you know, I always say, that there are players who are groomed to be champions. I certainly was not one of them. I wanted to win. Winning felt uncomfortable because it was new and I didn't know if I deserved it. Also, there were parts of it that were easy for me. Um, I worked super hard, but the fact that I got to do it, I knew it was easy for easier for me than other people because I knew I was catching up, playing catch up. Mm. And um, and 
it was so much, it was so significant for me because it gave me a place to work hard. It gave me a place to really respect myself. Uh, it gave me a family, even if we didn't always get along, a tribe, you know, other big girls. And, um, and it gave me a way out, you know, it gave me a real line to follow. You can understand that with the military. It's like, mm -hmm. there is the line, walk it. And that was really, really good timing. I mean, it seems like it walked into your life at the perfect time. You had a little bit of a, you had a little bit of a rough childhood. I won't lie. Listening to that back, it was quite emotional. I can't imagine living it uh, because you painted such a vivid picture. You really did a good job of making the listener or the reader at that phone call. You made it a part of um, not just the story, but I was living it, standing there with you in that moment. How did you move through that life going through something so traumatic so young? It's interesting. I just interviewed a woman literally two days ago named Byron Katie in person. And Katie has helped me as an adult with some stuff. And it's like, she said, you know, all the suffering happens from the mind. And so as a little kid at two, I didn't live with either one of my parents. I actually lived with a couple uh, named Rhett and Joe. And actually, they both have passed away uh, in the last like three or four months. And <clears throat> they were high school friends of my mother. And my uncle Joe had just come back from Vietnam. And my aunt and Rhett, they have high school education. Um, very loving people, very blue collar, very tough in Long Island, New York. They raised me for five years. Um, and during that time, my father, who was from Trinidad, passed away. He was in the West Coast getting his doctorate's degree and he died in a plane crash when I was five. And so I think I was really upset and hurt and understood that I, sh I wasn't with my parents, but that I should be. But yet I had these really incredibly loving, very hard on me. My Aunt Norette was pretty hard on me, but still loving. Um, to give you an idea, like walking to the bus stop every day, um, you know, we lived in New York and uh, it's cold in the winter. We'd watch TV, you know, foot to foot, and she would sit on my feet to keep my feet warm. Um, but she was a tough lady, you know, like in a good way, though, too, like, hey, you're bothering me. Go away. Don't go away mad, but go away, kid. Or like, kid, go play in traffic. You know, like that good New York sense of humor. Um you know, uh, you know, ask stupid questions, get stupid answers, you know, all that. But in certain ways, it was a gift. Mm. Maybe my mom really was doing the best she could. And by giving me to them, maybe she knew something better than I did. And so I was mad because it doesn't look like what they tell you in the picture. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be, leave it to Beaver. My aunt was five feet tall and overweight. I was five feet tall at seven years old. You know, it's like, it wasn't a physical match. <laughs> like she would take me shopping because, you know, they couldn't really afford it, like JCPenney. And she would dress me like how you would dress if you thought you were tall and skinny. Cause she was a very <laughs> overweight, short little Jewish lady. So I, you know, she was like, look at this extraordinarily weird, tall kid, you know? And some ladies like, oh, is that your daughter? And my Annette, who treated me like her daughter was like, what do you think? You know, like, <laughs> So there was a lot of important stuff in there. And then I moved back with my mom when I was seven. And in some ways that was harder, hmm. but important because then I moved to the Caribbean. So I got to connect with my dad's culture and, uh, 
it gave me a view of the world. Mm. And uh, I had a lovely stepfather for a few years who was from Puerto Rico, but it just opened my mind to you're not really trapped anywhere. You can dream. My aunt and her uncle Joe took what life gave them by moving in back in with my mother somewhere in there. I got the message that you could go out and try to make a life. And that mm. was really important. So as far as surviving it, this is what I say. And I say it a lot. We all have something, but if I just was smart enough to take a look, not what I didn't have, but what I did have, that I was really being treated pretty fairly. I had very loving alternative adults all throughout my growing up years, not just my aunt and Uncle Joe. I had a couple named Elise and Ron Savage. I had a lot of people that stepped in. I was weird looking. I was tall. I was, you know, whatever. So I had, so I somehow was oriented to looking at what I had. Yeah, I'd have moments, of course. More than spending a ton of time in what I didn't have. Do you think that's a a failure um, in our society nowadays? We have so many children that we look at what we don't have, what we don't have, what we don't have. We teach kids to try to, you know, look at the perspective of things. But in reality, how often do you hear a kid, you know, oh, I have this and I'm happy and I'm grateful. And it's just talking about a roof over their head. I don't really think it's human nature. Totally. I think there's a line. So I think it's, that's how we, that's how we explore. That's how we go beyond because we aren't sort of satisfied with here. So maybe if we could do a better job of a dual message of what's going good, what can we acknowledge is in our favor and mm-hmm. it's over there. Hey humans. I know you've all been seeing me drink HVMN's Ketone IQ lately. This is a game changer. Jet fuel in a bottle. I use Ketone IQ for everything in my life, whether it's running, cycling, podcasting, or just the extra boost that my brain needs. I won't lie, it helps push me to the next level in all things. I love Ketone IQ and what HVMN stands for. Go grab some shots today at HVMN.com and use the code BRASS20 and save. Um, because I think that curiosity and that building and also that sense of wonder and dreaming is really important to have as a human being. But then simultaneously to feel that stillness or that gratitude for, wow, and it's also pretty great here right now. Or I'm grateful for these things or these relationships or that my children are healthier, that I do have a roof over my head. I think it's a, it's a constant rack focus, right? It's like near and far and near and far. I think if, if we could, as people get older, it's hard to do it when they're really young. Um, and it's helpful. And, and I think when you have teenagers, part of what they need is to feel dissatisfied. That is what they're doing. They are breaking away. They're agitated. I have one daughter right now who every time I say something, even though her and I are close and it's cool, it's like she has Tourette's. Like I go, oh, it's this. And she goes, no, it's not. It's blue. It's like, and I, and I've now, because again, I've been beaten into submission. I'm like, yeah, here she goes. And even yesterday I was like, why do you do that? Like, why if I, because I say to her, by the way, if I don't know, I just say, I don't know. But if I say to you, hey, it's like this, it's because I have checked it out and I feel comfortable enough in saying to you, 
it's this, but that's what they're doing. So I think that's also something to develop as you live. How old was she or your children when they started doing that? Well, she doesn't do that. She's not there yet. She's not there. Um, my, my older kids do that now, but they're, you know, 20 and, and 28. And I think I did it earlier because I had to. I was out on mm -hmm. my own at 17. So we, we adapt, we adjust to what, what we need. Um, because me sitting in the rocking back and forth on a floor or being upset about what I don't have or how unfair life has been for me, wasn't really going to help me, especially given the fact that I had some really badass opportunities in front of me. It would be kind of stupid. I mean, you, you do, and you did have, you still do, you have a crazy opportunities around you all the time. It's kind of mind blowing to see the strength and what you had to persevere through, because you hear about these stories of people that are going through loss and struggle and it's the mindset. You talk about mindset in your book and you talk about mindset in, in your life and, and in general, what you do from, from a fitness perspective to your companies, to just your family mindset is really everything. And you do a really good job a job of illustrating the the rainmaker's mindset. This this man that controlled the wet sorry the weatherman's mindset the weatherman's mindset. I'm so sorry, but I died listening to you talk about Laird and how you described him. So when you're with someone and you find this person in your life that you want to be with, but they have a really tumultuous way of of. <laughs> running their life or uh, very, what's the word? Not unexpected, but just uneven, un uncertain way. How do you go about handling that? Because it feels like that would be incredibly difficult to, you know, formulate a life around. Well, it's definitely unconventional. Laird being a big wave surfer, waiting for surf, wanting surf, it's never there real everyday living, not making that much sense to him. It's like, what is everyone doing with their time and their drive <laughs> around and they have emails and like, they're fighting with each other. It's like, why are we not having fun and going out and doing dangerous things and, you know, going to bed early? Um, <laughs> well, here's, here's a, there's a, there's, I, I mean, I have, I've obviously thought about this relationship because I've been in it for quite a long time is if I squeeze Laird's neck and like the shit hits the fan, there is nobody better. Mm. And I have, and you have somebody who, by the way, is uh, brutally honest, mm. brutally loving. Um, and their value system is rock solid. The orientation towards telling the truth, protectiveness, um, cleanliness, you know, and I don't mean just the physical cleanliness. I just mean my 20 year old daughter who actually just came, she was in Israel for two months and she left five hours before all of that happened. She didn't know that was happening. Her and her, her boyfriend is from Israel. She said to me while she was in her travels, she goes, you know, I've never heard dad say anything negative about you. So when I say cleanliness, I mean like mm. high caliber kind of operating. Um, and, um, and organized, like you're not doing dangerous stuff. You know, this from having equipment and, you know, being in the military, um, Laird is highly organized and clean and efficient. And so there's systems in place, even within the chaos. So it's someone I trust. Uh, and I don't mean I trust him. I mean, like <laughs> trust him. 
right. a, you know, like, and, and it doesn't mean it was, all, it's been all roses. It never is. But, um, that's, I think for me, it, I, the rest is kind of bullshit. Like, you know, somebody who's super conventional and like, oh, they're nine to five, but if like something goes wrong, they flip out or you, you know, you don't know if they're going to tell you the full truth. You can have, I don't care about that. Hmm. I care about the, the sort of other things. And then you just work it out. It's interesting to hear you say that because you talk pretty openly about your divorce from Laird and then back to Laird. Yeah, it was almost a divorce. We yeah, sorry, almost. My apologies. Yeah, we, oh, no, no, it's okay. We never went through the legal. I filed for divorce in 2000. And, um, you know, California, they're really smart. They say, oh, cool, but it's going to be a few months till it's final. Mm. You understand why? Because, yeah. you know, knuckleheads like me are like, oh, wait a second. Um, <laughs> and brought to you by Mindful Meds. You guys have been seeing me take Mindful Meds for a little while now. Mindful Meds is a premium supplement company dedicated to supplying humans with the tools to improve their mental health, clarity, and performance, all while supporting their growth along the way. Whether it's the Immunity Blend, Lion's Mane, Inspire, or Voyage, all of their products are clean, tested, consistent, and they've become a huge help in my life. I found Mindful Meds over a year ago now, and I've never looked back. Go check out their website, mindfulmeds.io, and use the code BRASS at checkout. <laughs> but... Uh... Yeah, no, because I was a terrible communicator. I had things, things were happening. Laird was drinking alcohol. There were things that were happening that I didn't know how to address. And so I, I walled off. And then a year of that or two years of that or three years of that. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm out. And, um, and Laird said something to me really interesting. He's like, why didn't you say anything? And I was like, oh, yeah. Because I used, to, I took stoicism to another, to the wrong place. Okay. Which is like, you're not really expressing things that you need to be expressing and you're not taught how to be brave and intimate because that's actually what it is. Mm. I was being stoic, which is strong. And I put that in quotes, but I was really scared to be vulnerable and intimate, which is to tell you how I really feel or tell ask you for what I really wanted or whatever that looked like. I didn't have that because it made sense. Like when I was a little kid, I was more on my own. So I was on my own. I just happened mm -hmm. to be married. Mm -hmm. And I used to say that Laird would be laying there with his neck on the guillotine because he wears his heart on the sleeve and look at me like, okay, are you going to play along? And I just wouldn't. And so when all that happened, I vowed because I, I, I wasn't my best self. So I said, okay, no matter what going forward, if we're going to be together, I'm, I commit to myself not to be that person because it ultimately will get you into a situation that is not good. Mm -hmm either with another person or with any situation, it's never going to be good. So I thought I owe it to myself if I re-enter into this relationship and obviously for him, but first commit to myself I, that I was never going to be that person again. It's funny to hear that you went from being completely non-communicative to this incredibly well-spoken communicative spokesperson for several brands, for yourself, your show, if people don't listen to the Gabby Reese show, I do recommend it. I've sat across from you and you're the only human being who is able to bring me down. And I'm not exaggerating on the face of this earth, even talking to you now, there's a sense of peace and calm that comes over the situation because you're an incredible communicator. So when I was listening to the book and hearing the sheer lack of communication and the 
honesty of how walled off you were, the only thing I could think of was childhood trauma and you going, well, I'm alone. I'm by myself. And if I stay like hard like this, then I'll never get hurt. I'll never feel lost. I'll never feel abandoned again. Yeah, of course. And I think when you're, and listen again, and I, I'm not re-blaming my mother for anything. I, I have really come to the place to appreciate, you know, who she is and all that went down. Um, but when you don't really have your mom, mm -hmm. I think you, and if, and, and I have a natural personality to then be like, I'll do it, you know? Um, and so I was very good at communicating on camera early, like 19, 20 years old, no problem. But when you're talking about intimacy and asking for what you need or want or what's hurting you, that took me some time. I mean, it's understandable. I can, I can see why. I want to talk about self-acceptance because you did go through such a big journey of growth and a big journey of distance and a big journey of just figuring out who you are because you do or did when you were young. You didn't fit in the traditional mold of what a child looked like. You looked like a grown-ass woman, very young. So how did you get to a good place of self-acceptance and self-worth? I'll be honest. I think, um, you know, it's always uncomfortable and it's interesting to watch my daughters go through it where you go places and everyone stares at you because you're freakishly tall or whatever. Um, and then people think you're older. But I... I always did feel kind of out of sorts. Um, I never really fit in. Nothing ever fit me. Clothing didn't fit me, you know, stuff like that. But I will say that for whatever reason, it was more about everyone else's reaction than how I felt about it. Um, and then the other great thing is you, I'm, a, I'm not a person, even when I was a kid, that like once the truth has been shown to me, I don't need to learn that again. And oh. so what happened is, is I knew if I'm six feet at 12 years old, it's like, Hey, listen, you're probably not going to be five, eight, and you're not going to be a size six or whatever. And you're not going to wear the cutest, latest fashion. Um, so I think there was a part of me that's like, I'm not going to keep banging my head against that wall and be like, why am I not like everybody else? That's mm -hmm. just not my personality. It was sort of like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's what's happening. And it's sort of like getting information where it's like, got it. And, um, and then I learned a really, really valuable lesson. I don't know if I talked about this in the book. When I was 18, I started modeling in New York and I was, I had finished my freshman year of college and I would then go back and forth. So I literally could be in a studio in New York, the fanciest whole nine yards, the shoot, the Italian Vogue, the clothes, the hair, the makeup, be on an airplane, be in a sweaty gym with volleyball players like a day later, 36 hours later. And I remember I'd be at lunch with extraordinarily beautiful women and modeling. Okay, makes sense. They didn't seem happier. They didn't seem more confident. They weren't particularly more fun. Right. And then I get on a plane and get into a gym with sweaty girls. Maybe they had a couple of pimples, maybe bigger butts, um, bigger girls, man, they were robust. They were playful. They were confident. And I was like, oh, okay, so being perfectly beautiful is certainly not going to solve everything. And it, it, it seems like maybe having a skill of some sort might reinforce parts of myself that I would like to. Um, Cause then it sort of feels like it's in my hands. 
And um, I think it was, it was more of that uh, quick lesson. And again, because I do have a natural personality of like, Hey, the writing's on the wall. Don't be an idiot. There it is. Mm. It was okay. I got it. And you, you got it pretty quick. It seems like that after we've had some conversations, it's pretty amazing to see how fast you can see through people. It's, it's a wild thing to experience and be across from because most people don't know their head from their ass and they don't know their opinions on things and they don't know their belief systems at all. So when you say things like Laird is rock solid in his beliefs and his direction and his values, you, in my opinion, are incredibly similar in that sense. Like you, because of that line that you walk, you can read people very well. Well, it, yeah. Well, there's a couple things about that. One was developed hypervigilance being young and being a mm. female, which is good and not good. Fine. Uh, two is there's an interesting thing when you are different. People are so busy, like looking at your difference that they don't realize that they're completely revealed. So I could stand there and, and everyone's like, oh, you think you're staring at me, but I actually get to see you very quickly and clearly because you haven't put your guard up because you don't think actually I'm paying attention. So mm -hmm. there's something really good about that. Um, and then there's something I've had to learn as an adult, which is, yes, read all these things, feel it, sense it. And then let's see. Don't, don't just draw the conclusion conclusion don't just see be open stay open see it feel wait watch because that can get in your way if you think you know or you jump on a feeling so I trust my intuition I do mm -hmm. but I still as long as it's it, now if it's a dangerous situation I'm going with my intuition but if it's just like hey this person hmm. now I've I'm trying to go to the next place which is like let's see so you're open to that person a little more maybe than you would have been. I'm open to whatever is because ah. I to be so hyper vigilant that I think I'm seeing something and I'm not because that's that's not as smart as you can be. Mm -hmm. as, as smart as you can be is to be here and now and to wait and see and to see what how someone is, what's happening. Um, it's different. Again, if you're in a dangerous situation, I think it is so important to, to pay attention and to trust your instincts and to listen to your gut. I do believe that so deeply. But in our day-to-day -day lives, I think the idea of staying open is now hopefully the next place because some of the other is still from fear. Hmm. And I'm trying to get away from living from my place of fear or hypervigilance, which it's the same thing, and and be feel strong enough to just be how is it that you were able to take this life experience where there was trauma involved and being shuffled around and this hypervigilance how were you able to take that and calm your nervous system to the state that when people are around you 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 exude calm you really do so when you say you come from this place of fear in some places or you're or that's maybe the hypervigilance and you're trying to get away from that. I have a hard time believing that you come from a place of fear and you come from a place of hypervigilance. So there had to be something that happened where you were able to click that nervous system into gear because I'm sorry, I don't believe that you come from a place of fear in any of your decision-making. I can't see it. Well, if, I, if I'm, so the, you know, I have a couple of uh, 
I did an interview with Jim Quick. He's a guy who can teach you to read and re remember things. And he said, you know, we're, we're, we are all walking around with a question in our mind. He said, for example, I can tell you about this girl, I'm making it up, named Sarah. And her question is, I hope they like me. And he goes, now you don't even have to meet Sarah to know a bunch about her, right? If someone's walking into a room and that's their question. Um, my, and he goes, do you know your question? And I said, I have two and I know what they are. Um, my, my question is, is what's the point? Mm -hmm. and the one that follows it is what's the right way to be? And I think because I didn't have parents necessarily all the time, it was like self-governing. So if you if I say to you, hey, listen, it's from fear, it's because I'm I'm trying to self-govern. I'm trying to stay truthful. I'm trying to to stay transparent. I because I uh, I've been around people that were the other. So it isn't that it's ruling me. It's that I'm aware that it's mm -hmm. in the building, and okay. it ruled me much more before than it does now. Um, but I think it's, it's sort of going, what is, what are the traits that I feel are the ones that you like to possess and maintain and live by that you think would be the right way to be? And mm -hmm. for me, definitely being fearful and angry and aggressive, um, is not the way to go because I go from you know, kind of if I'm fearful or I don't like something, I would lean in, I would turn not aggressive, violent, but more, you know, kind of combative, or I'd use that, you know, I'd use the hammer, I drill through, I drill down, I do all that. And that's still fear. So where could I get to a place through hopefully growing up a little bit, being more mature, having life's experience a little bit. And it would be like, no, calm feels good. Loving feels better. Um, because if, if my ultimate goal is to be, quote, strong, then I can't miss those steps. Because if I think strength is force and uh, size and all that, I'm really not paying attention. But if I understand it's something else, it's more loving, it's more kind, it's more calm, it's more quiet, then I'm, I'm just trying to practice those things. Does your resolve and your thought process around fear and around understanding yourself, does that, is that rooted in a faith? Is that rooted in some type of religion or learned experience? Because the way you speak, it's as if there is something deeply rooted and I, I, I can't point it. I can't figure it out what it is. I think I know the law of the universe, whether it's mm. God or uh, the divine or whatever name people need to use. I, I, I feel that. And I, I think the rules are really simple for me, which would be, you know, to not hurt someone, to be disciplined, to be, to, um, to be truthful, to, um, to be grateful, to understand. Like if I, if I, since I was 18 or 19 years old, cannot recognize the divine opportunities and, and just the abundance that has come into my life, then I am, people can say I'm grateful or they can do something with it, 
show up every day, work as hard as they can, be responsible with the quote opportunities. Um, because for me, that would be displaying gratitude. And I prefer showing and doing so that intuitively people can sort of see what you're about than telling you. Like, you know, I really am so grateful for everything. It's like, okay, blah, blah, blah. You know, or like, my favorite is like when people are like, you know, I just, I can't, I can't help myself. I'm just authentic. You know, I have to be my authentic self. <laughs> you know what I mean? And or if I show up and I go, um, you know, I, I exercise. It's like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you should see me or be around me and you should know intuitively whatever it is that your radar is going to pick up about me. Cause everybody's going to pick up something different. I should, if I have to say it, sell it, advertise it, it's like a no-go. So I would definitely say something is rooted in me. I've always felt like I didn't understand. I felt that there are forces. I always feel like there's sort of a positive or a negative or a good and an evil. I'm aware of that. And I don't need, again, I'm a good student. I don't need to tempt fate. I get it. I believe it. I'm going to do my best to live it. I'm going to blow it all the time. But I know that to be true and not in a way that I need to sell it. I just, I, I know here. And somebody said to me once, oh, you, you know, you're, you're really, you feel really humble to me. And I'm like, I'm not humble. I know the game. Mm -hmm. I know the law. I know it. And I don't need to tempt fate. I don't need to. I really don't. And that's part of my hypervigilance. It's still intertwined to something in me that's like, yeah, okay. I'm going to I'm going to be safe. I'm going to play by the rules that are the real rules. I'm not playing by man's rule. I don't care about that. Go to college, do this. This is how you should live. This is what you should do. No, I'm talking about the big rules. And I think there's some rules we can agree on. No, I I, I don't disagree with you at all. It's it seems pretty simple. It seems like it's not that difficult but i think the thing that gets in the way is when people so quickly want to lean on a on a thing a book a place or whatever no it has to be like this so i have to do this no this matters if i don't do this then everything's going to fall into pieces into shambles and i don't know if it's because we're taught that or it's baked into us or it's a form of brainwashing or it's like it, but that's how it feels and i hate saying that because i understand there are rules and laws to things, but these other ones feel fabricated and governed to benefit others. Yeah, I think there's a level of indoctrination and control that whether our civilization needs it or doesn't need it, I don't know. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it's sort of like if we could all sort of agree that we would do our best to self-regulate ourselves, and then we could all collectively agree, like, it's like the stop, stop lights. Green does not mean go. Yellow does not mean slow down. And red does not mean stop. But we've all agreed because it's better for civilization. So for me, you know, I, I have, it's been interesting. My oldest daughter graduated from USC, very good student. You know, she has her job from her major, whatever. Now my youngest daughter, who's a junior, I'm, I'm almost like, hey, listen, if you don't know what you want to study at college, I don't really know if college is such a great idea because I feel like there's so much indoctrination versus 
teaching of critical thinking, maybe exchanging of ideas. I think it's turned into, we all have to agree 100% on all these beliefs and you have to do this. And I don't like that part of it. There is a part of me that is very rebellious to that. Um, and this is how you have to do it. It's like, really? So I think if the collective, it'd be really good if we could agree on some things so we can have a civilization and you know work collectively and cooperatively together. And then independently, like if you're not hurting yourself or someone else, do what you want to do, like do it. Trust yourself. Right. Well, I think it's the the idea for traditional families. If you don't come from a traditional family, like if you do come, sorry, if you do come from a traditional family, there is this this A plus B must equal C. How have you raised your girls so drastically different where they don't feel the pressures to obviously having you and layered as parents are a good start, but how have you wrapped your head around that parenting idea? Because you talk about it in the book, you talk about these moments of patience, and then you talk about these moments of just sheer rage out of nowhere. I mean, you, you seem to have done it differently. So how do you, how do you parent in that style where it's not this A plus B equals C? Listen, it, it, parenting is the most personal and difficult and impossible thing that there is. So when I speak about parenting, I'll only speak about my experience. I'm definitely not telling you, anyone what to do. So with parenting, I've, I've made a lot of mistakes. I, I knew showing up was really important. So I have really shown up, um, you know, uh, and you can imagine I'm probably overcompensating because of my mom not doing it. And I was like, oh, I don't want to ever be that person. And so there's a level of probably parental insecurity because hmm. uh, I didn't have a great example of somebody in front of me that did that. And then you're always like, am I good enough? Um, but what I have learned, I'll, I'll sort of arrive after 20 something years of parenting is I really come to face to face with, I'm not really... Yes, when they're little, little, um, you know, you're you're in you're in charge. Mm -hmm. Somebody said in a way like they want you to be like a boat captain. They don't want you to be in control, but they do want you to be in charge. Mm. That's different. And I'm not trying to be their girlfriend, even though now as they get older, there's certainly an, a different layer of intimacy. That's fine. It's appropriate. Um, I am out of the delusion that I can get them to do what I want. I've never been a manipulator, be it my relationship or even with my kids with guilt or other stuff. I'm definitely played by the rules. I just do. Um, and sometimes I wish I didn't, but whatever, you know, you look back and you're like, Oh, I wish I would have squished her spirit a little more, but <laughs> I can blew that anyway. Um, and and then as they became teenagers, I got help. I, I said like, yo, I'm upside down. And we went through heavy shit with one of my daughters. I didn't have the tools. She had gone through some really heavy things. All things that you thought you could avoid. Right. I have a clean house and a loving relationship. And we're going to get them to good schools. And everyone's going to be safe. And it's going to be okay. It's not always the case. And so you get help. And uh, the other things that I've learned uh, were taught to me by Byron Katie, which is the best thing you could do for your kids is really listen. Don't fix their problems. Don't steer them one, you know, one way or the other in that manipulative way. Listen, really listen. 
and try to the best of your ability, whatever this word means to people, make yourself happy so they actually can see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I I am not objective as a parent. I've gotten better about like, wow, you're either going to stop doing that or you're not kind of thing. Like maybe the way you treat people or like maybe you won't have friends when you're an adult. And that worries me, but what am I going to do? You know, mm-hmm. and so listening and be the best example you can be. If I want you to be kind, I probably should just be as kind as I can be. If I want you to um, take care of yourself and be clean and don't do drugs and alcohol and all that, I should probably do that myself. Mm-hmm. And um, and the rest is like, it's in it's in the God's hands. Like I'm not, they have a destiny, these people. And as much as I don't want to deal with it and I want to control it and I want to, you know, them to do all the things I want them to do. I, I got over that. I'm sorry. It's just, it's brilliant. It's so, it's, it sounds so simple, but you talk about a way that you, you showed them how to be happy and you showed them why you were gone. You brought them places with you to, to show them that I'm not just away from you. This is what I do for a living. This is an unconventional way of living. You don't have to do it. And I think it's like, it, it's what you exude. It's that lead by example. It's that idea that I don't, shouldn't have to tell you. You should just know by seeing or being around that this is what I do. What, this is how I act. This is how we should act. And I think that's the difference is there's not a lot of people who are willing to show their children why they're away, what that looks like. What are they doing with that time? Why does that matter? Why should that matter? And I think that's a great example and I think that's a big a big difference maker, especially if you're in a non-traditional business or a non-traditional lifestyle. You should show them why you are away or why you're doing what you're doing. I think it gives them tools and I think it gives them an idea that, okay, they're not away because they want to be or because they just don't want to be around me. Because we formulate these ideas when we're young in our head, well, they just don't want to be around us. Yeah. And by the way, my kids have been not they have not been away from me very much um because Mm -hmm. that was something i was serious about and let me say this this is a uh what i would call luxury opportunity that i was able if i was quote the talent in a job or doing something or i could afford to bring them that was a super luxury to me so i i took advantage of that um but yeah and and by the way you can show them everything and they don't care anyway because, you know, they get to a place where they're they're doing their thing and you don't know much and your music's not good. And what are you wearing? And no, no, no. And why are you nagging me? And, blah, blah, blah. and it's all it's all the same. It doesn't matter what parents you are. You are still like Laird always says the title, the word parent is annoying. Right. Like it doesn't we none of us escape it. And only cool parents are the ones who are not around that you hope visit you once a month. Mm-hmm. So let's be clear. I am a real parent, which means I annoy and I am so uncool and clueless to a few people for sure. And then they get a little and they go, oh, you know what? Okay, that's not that bad of an idea. Yeah, I'll never forget being at your house and Laird saying, she let me hang out with her today. Oh, yeah, the youngest. I'm so sorry, but that that just made my heart smile so much because I was like, oh, I'm a normal parent too. Okay. I get it. This is, this is not weird. No. And my goal is not, I could care less. My goal is not to be cool to them. I don't care. I really don't care. 
It, it blows my mind. I want to, uh, oh, I want to talk of this rolls perfectly. I want to talk about how you roll, you run into judgment and criticism in life and the tools you use to kind of move through that. Because in your book, you said you Googled yourself once and you, uh, and you would never do it again. Mm. How do you being in the position you've been in? Because whether you like it or not, you are kind of a six foot three, like Amazonian, like blonde goddess. And for whatever reason, your profession, yeah, I said it, get on board. Don't do that face. You, it's true. And you chose a profession in a bikini that just wears bikinis. So you're objectified whether you wanted to be or not. That's just the uniform in the job. So how did you handle potential criticisms and any of those things that came around that in your life? Well, and also, listen, if we're being honest, I understood I was in the fashion business. I was like, oh, okay. So this is a, this is a, if this is a chess board, mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the, the pieces and one of the moves. And so I very deliberately and calculate in a very calculated way, objectified myself, mm -hmm. uh, not only to bring attention and opportunity for myself professionally, but also for my sport, because my sport, nobody, and, and in that order. Okay. There's no, it's not like some Pollyanna thing. It's like, Hey, I'm out here to survive. Yeah. And also this platform really takes good care of me. Maybe I can bring some positive energy yeah. and momentum to the platform. But I, um, there were times it was hard. Um, you know, people would try to say things like, oh, I got opportunity because I was, you know, pretty or whatever. And I thought, oh, wow. Yeah. You know, I remember one year or three years in a row, I was offensive player year of the year in my league. I mean, I, and I'm not, this is not being braggadocious. I'm just, this is just facts. Like I have a record at blocking at Florida state that, you know, I left Florida state in 91. 1991 you know so it's like I still had to kind of play and show mm -hmm. up and so there'd be parts of me that felt really that used to hurt my feelings and insecure it made sense um but I thought okay you live by your code you work hard you show up be a good teammate try to be a good person whatever that means um and don't worry about it and and my coach said something to me really smart when I was 19, I didn't understand it two years later. She said, um, I got a team of 12 girls, six, eight play mostly, because you might sub into, you know, back row, front row. Definitely four are unhappy. You know, she's like, I have an objective. We all have an objective. I have a goal. I make the best decisions I can. And then she goes, and then I know at least one person's happy. And she's like, me. And at 19, you're like, what? I don't know what that means. You know, you're still saying, is that okay? You know, um, and then you get older and you're just like, oh, God, I can't make anybody happy. So I'm not going to I'm going to stop worrying about that and stop my decision making process be from that place. That makes sense. Yeah, it's not easy to do. And as women, remember, we are taught to be liked is to be good or to be nice is to be good. And actually, that's not true. And I tell my youngest daughter and she takes me serious. I'm like, I don't care about nice. I care about kind. Mm. I don't care. What does nice mean? How about kind? And we're taught that very early. So if someone goes, wow, you're not being very nice or you're getting a lot of attention, um, you know, whatever. We're like, oh no, I'm, that I'm not a good person. And mm. um, there, Elise Lunin wrote a book about the deadly, you know, sins and uh, 
one of the things she said is we tell girls like get out there and do it and da da da. But it's like the minute then you'll get one girl who's willing to kind of go for it. Maybe she's playing soccer or something and stands out. And maybe she celebrates or does whatever. Not only will like the parents on that team, but the parents on the other team will be like, well, I mean, who does she think she is and what is she doing? It's like, okay, well, which one is it? Never mind, you know. So I think for me, I, but I could still get my feelings hurt a little bit for a few, few seconds for sure. Lasts only a few seconds, eh? Not very long. If you don't learn by my age. Stop with your age stuff. I'm saying it's a lot of years to practice. I understand. I but you some... make it sound like you're 72. I, it's great. I'm not far. I'm 19 years away from that. Oh, my God. Your mathematics well, is way too sharp for me it right now. It doesn't, my point is it doesn't matter. But if we don't. Right. Okay, so 20s is like, whoa, where am I? Cool. This is kind of cool. Like, what do I think I am? What's and 30s, you know, you start to literally go like, oh, wait, I need to tell you what I think and feel. And you go, oh, I'm doing this. But, you know, this may not be, I might need to get something of my own. 40s is like, what am I building? What am I creating? What am I doing with your family, without your family, if you choose to have one or not, whatever. And then it's like, this stuff should be in practice. You know, when women go, what would you tell your younger self? Don't take shit personal. Okay. You should start practicing that in your mid thirties for sure. So it's like all these opportunities to practice and put in play life's lessons that you, you fail miserably at, you stumble, you bite the hook over and over. I do it all the time, but at least make the thing last less. Like at least it'd be like, okay, I bit the hook, but whoa, I got out of that quicker, not two days. So it's more of that kind of stuff. Did you do any sort of, and this might be too personal, but I'm going to ask it. Do you do any sort of, or have you ever done any sort of uh, types of therapies or along those lines where I can't, I just can't picture you doing like cognitive behavioral therapy? Um, I did. Well, like I said, when I went through something with one of my daughters, my teenage daughter, not, nobody will inspire you to be better than your own children. And um, I did, uh, sort of take in lessons from Byron Katie from the work um, and then, and then practice, you know, practice self-inquiry. Is it true? And I know it to be true for sure. Who am I when I think those thoughts and who would I be without that belief? And so I just practice it. It's like going to the gym. So the minute something goes on, I just kind of start to look at myself and ask myself, but as far as like knock down, drag out, sit down, I haven't. No. Yeah, I can't. I can't picture that working well for you, nor do I picture it working well for the person you're sitting in front of. Just saying. It might. It might. I mean, I would like to see in a different setting. I feel like there's a different setting that you would thrive in, but that's, that's a different conversation for another time. I, I'm not going to pry. I, um, I want to talk about how you guys started to scale your life together because you and Laird have really wrapped everything you do in a way, whether it's, the lessons you teach in the pool, whether it's the the fitness aspect that you run when you're in Hawaii or whether it's what you do for athletes when you guys are at your place here in Miami, uh, Miami, in uh, Malibu. I, I just find it interesting how your life seems to work and how everything seems to coincide with each other, but yet is separate, but they all help one another. 
how did you guys decide that you were going to start taking on these industries and these spaces like the superfoods industries? I mean, you've got a public company for God's sake. That's an animal on its own. You donate your time to boards. You are out there with athletes and you still show up for your family in a really significant way. So how did you guys decide you were going to start elevating in this way? I would like to pretend that we're that smart. We're not. I think what we are though is very consistent. Okay. So um, thoughts, actions, words, practices, what we're eating, how we're sleeping, probably what we're hoping and wanting and dreaming. It's probably all has a thread that feels really consistent. And so it manifests in these mm -hmm. ways because it really, these are just extensions of what your, maybe your signal is, your vibration, your energy, your thing that you're asking for. And then when it's having the ability to recognize the door and then to not only go through the door, but to be able to work as hard as you need to, to be able to take, you know, the failures daily and, um, and I always say, when you wake up and you recognize that you're solving the problems that you want to be solving, you should say thank you, because mm -hmm. we're all going to be solving problems. We're all going to be working hard. We're all going to feel scared and disappointed at times. But is it at the thing you want to be doing? And I think for Laird and I, these are spaces that make sense to us, that we enjoy, that we learn in, that. Um, you know, sort of are these continued stories of what our lives look like. Can you run me through a typical day that you go like that? I mean, that's a day that you feel good at the end of the day where you're like, I've done everything that I should because you do have a unique routine and schedule. And I would love for people to hear a little example of that because I think most people think that they do a lot in a day. And I think that they... Think they're achieving things in those days, but they're missing a lot of key points that help that person thrive and push forward without burnout and with good leadership and good communication. So can you give me a small example that people could lean on or potentially take a lesson from? Yeah. And this is the order of my priorities. Now, of course, my children are always number one, but I and my well-being and my physical health is my priority. I will not compromise that for my relationship uh, because it's the rest is a joke if I don't keep it together that way. So I am pretty ruthless about my training. So um, and the, and the second thing is my family is more important than accomplishments. I know mm -hmm. this. I knew this. And when I say my family, it was when it was just Laird. When I sort of felt that Laird was my partner. I invested a level of energy and time in that that was greater almost than anything else. And it wasn't at the cost of, but of course there's a compromise. And then once you have children, even if you don't have to, you want to, you want to be of service to them because you know, this is the time mm -hmm. they're going to move on. They're going to leave. And so I, I could honestly say that, so in the morning, I'll wake up. Uh, I always, if I'm, if Laird's, if we're here together, we sit and have coffee for at least 30 minutes together and just connect and visit. It's not like a, oh, we have our coffee time. It's scheduled. It's like, it's organic. It feels like it's important. It feeds us as a couple, which then is part of, we are part of the foundation of the house. Um, I will train. I, if I can 
coordinate my schedule accordingly. It will always after be after my training, period, end of story. If it can't, sometimes those are the days, very seldom. Um, and then it's into work. Is it meetings? Is it travel for, you know, Laird Superfood or XPT or Laird Apparel? Um, it's interviews for my podcast or someone else. It's, there's got to be, you know, reading. You, there's definitely a drop-off somewhere in there of a kid. Um, and, you know, the million-dollar question every day at two o'clock, what is for dinner? So, you know, it, it's, it's all of those things, but it's having the flexibility to know what takes the priority. So for example, if work that day is serious, like the CEO from somewhere is coming or we have an event, guess what? My training might suffer that day. I might organize to have somebody grab a kid. It's the way it is. So it's also being aware of what needs time, when, and how, and not freaking out because you're not going to get it all done all every day perfect so it's being really clear about what is really the kind of objective of that day and usually if i could do training and great but there are days where training goes right out the window as well because you know it's like hey we have a big meeting we have a big presentation we have a thing we're leaving whatever so i think for me getting a lot done is uh being as responsive as i can be as quickly as possible don't put a ton on the back burner, but not making everything urgent. Hmm. And that's different. Not everything is urgent. Some stuff can wait. You can even wait a day or two. I appreciate how you describe it in the book when you talk about, okay, if this is the importance today and I got to give it all to this today, then maybe this, the next day, that's the thing that lagged is going to be the next thing that's the most important because I gave up on and give up. I didn't do the work I wanted to do that day, but I, this is now the priority of the next day. So it never really tr truly falls off. You talk yeah. a little, a little bit, you talk pretty intimately about your life and your marriage in terms of sex and in terms of importance and in terms of these things that are just real realities. And if you're with, I'm just, okay, how do I say this? If you're married to somebody who is a athlete or as somebody that runs a little faster in their life, in their work, in their business, whatever it may be, just the type of human they are, they run differently than every other type of person. So you talk really importantly about your marriage and what is needed, whether that's face-to-face -face time, whether that's sex, whether that's communication. Was that something that you always felt uh, strongly about, or was that like a learned behavior throughout marriage? Well, okay, so I think it's definitely learned um, because before I, you know, and, and I was quite young when I met Laird, I was 25, but I think I always did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And so I think it's, um, you start going, oh, wait a second, <laughs> that may not be colliding with their needs. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, and then you, and, and listen, you know, people want to make us all the same. I don't think we are. I do think generally, typically men have a larger sex drive than women. Um, I think, you know, and then you add kids and you're like, oh my God, you know, like the idea of anyone even touching my breast at this moment, I want to, you know, <laughs> it's just like new mom, you know, yeah. with a baby is like, okay. You know, so I think it's, it's first coming to terms with, reality and sort of going well what does this person need well they 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 do want some time and attention and 
and they that does involve sex um it's the way it is and and it fee it's also healthy for us as women to try to develop our sense of sexual self i think mm -hmm. especially if, if you're in a relationship and and uh you're exchanging that it shouldn't be another thing on the checklist even though sometimes it does feel that way um, I think it is part of being healthy and another way to express yourself. And even if it's only in that environment, mm -hmm. um, but that is something I had to learn because as an athlete, I was tired a lot. Mm -hmm. So it was like, Oh my God. But when you have a partner, that's like, they're showing up doing everything. It's like, well, what, what can I do for them? What is, what is their language and how can I elevate them and support them and be kind to them and love them and help them? Um, and so I think I generally try to approach most of my relationships that way. How can I be of service to the relationship? Um, it doesn't mean it's perfect. It doesn't mean, you know, and I, I know sometimes Laird has felt like he's on the clock, you know, mm -hmm. just the way it is. But I, I, I'll even be really honest with him and go, listen. I know this feels scheduled because it is kind of like, you know, but isn't it better than the alternative of it never happening? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and uh, we can connect and, and be together. And, and it's like for women, maybe they take a slower time getting started, but once they're in there and they, and, and they moved on to the next thing, million things they're doing that day, they're sort of really happy that they had that moment. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think my practical self, my very practical personality works well with that. Yeah. I just love the way you described it. Sometimes as marriage goes on, you just need to figure out if you need to suck, pull or tug a little differently than you did when you were younger. And I went, oh my God, Jeffy, this is great. Well, I mean, you, it's like you sort of have to be a little bit grown up. And if you're, I mean, I have a partner that is dedicated to the relationship. And so mm -hmm. how, what can I do to be of service? It's not, it's not out of my personality or against me. It's mm -hmm. still all within an organic expression of who I am, but it's being aware. Right. You know, when we're like, I'm tired. It's like, yeah, everybody's tired. But this is a way that you connect in a relationship. I don't want to live with a roommate or my brother. Right. I'm looking for a partner and a lover so what does that mean that's all and if somebody else is like hey i'm not interested in that that's okay too right totally fine like if it's like a hey we're doing this together and we have a family and we really love our children and that's kind of what we're doing and we respect and admire great right i just think it was interesting you don't hear women often be as brutally uh, upfront about the realities of marriage long-term marriage for that matter and how that dynamic shifts and changes over time it ebbs and it flows it, you really do live in a state of abundance you really it's interesting so many people live in a, in a mindset of lack you really do exude the I live in a state of abundance so what made you go I want to add to the plate I want to do a podcast I want to interview interesting human beings well you know I because volleyball was such a small sport, I always interviewed athletes. I used to do a show called MTV Sports and I would interview all kinds of athletes. And, you know, maybe part of my life, at least for a while, um, and definitely before I had kids, was so about me that there, I really enjoyed learning from athletes and showcasing them. 
And, um, and so I, I, I like having conversations with people. I like learning from them. And I do maybe think um, that I can take a lot of the heady information because I, I want to help people make it easier to take care of themselves and make it simple, as simple as I can, um, because I, I feel like I have enough experience to sort of be a bridge to that. And then, and then hopefully from time to time, put in my own experience of, you know, taking care of myself, being injured, having kids, being married, aging, whatever that is. Um, and, and just throwing it out there. And, and if it can be a, at all a tool for people here and there, I, I like that. And if nothing else, selfishly, it makes forces me to keep driving and learning. Mm -hmm. Um, because again, I, I say to people, listen, I'm not better at this than anyone. I just have a system in place that I can be successful. Mm. I don't want to not eat chocolate cake like the next person. I don't love to train more than other people. I just have a system in place. And so part of the system in place is to do the podcast. It's interesting too, because the, the way you talk about it, you're like, I'm not going to demonize sugar and these things. It's just how we schedule things out. It's the system in place. And it seems like that goes throughout your life. It's a thread that you can see from the get-go that pulls all the way through. If you have systems in place and control techniques that are lenient on some and more hard-nosed on other, it seems like you walk that line quite, quite well in your, in your, what's that? What's, what do you call your book in the, my foot is too big for the glass slipper, which was, it was so great. Um, as we end here, what is one piece of advice that you wish that other people could hear that they could just really wrap their brains around that you would hope that would just make their life easier or better, or just give them a piece of relief that they could take with them moving forward? You know, I, I, I'm probably, you know, that, that's a, a really incredible invitation. I think what shows up for me at this moment is is to simply remind people that it's their life. And we spend so much time uh, measuring against what the world is telling us and what we think we're supposed to do and we have to do. But could you find enough space from the world, from everyone, from your how you were raised, to ask yourself, to feel yourself and say like, hey, you know, what does it look like for me? Who, you know, how do I want to contribute? Because I do think having purpose and contributing to our world is an essential part of being a human being. Um, and, and the only reason I'm so diligent about my exercise and my food is because that makes that voice clearer. It's not because I'm like, hey, let me show you what I can lift or let me show you what I can move. How does my butt look in these jeans? It's like, no, that keeps that voice really clear. And it makes how I want to show up in the world easier. And, and to remind people that when you, when you question how you want to react, that being more, more kind or more loving to somebody is the strong and right thing always. Now, if they take advantage of that or they don't appreciate that, that will be their problem. Hmm. And I think it's, it's something if we could all sort of show up that way first um, and be, and, you know, but within that you have the right to be true to yourself. So it's like no complaining, no explaining, you know, there was a very famous quote. So I, I believe a bit of that. It, it's kind of like 
I'm going to be 100% accountable and I'm going to take responsibility. And if I don't like it, what am I going to do to change it? And what's my plan of action to do that? Not just complain. Complaining is, I can't stand it. What do you want to do? And grace, to give ourselves grace. Because I think if we're doing only one and not the other, it doesn't work. But if we can show ourselves grace and be as kind to ourselves as we are to everyone else, but to be totally accountable, because then we can move the pieces. You know what? I don't like this. I don't like this relationship. I don't like how this relationship is. Okay, cool. You have the power to change. You have the power to leave it. Whatever. Hey, this job. I want this. I want, I want that. Whatever that is. But it's, it's, no one's going to do it for you. And, you know, we live in a world where people think if I get hysterical or I cry that that somehow it's going to really happen. It's not. People will just move away. Hysterics is never going to really fix it. And, um, and it's so short, like try to, try to dance that dance once in a while because it is short. And what really is important is usually not the stuff we're spending a ton of time on. Hmm. You're so great. Everything that came out of your mouth on this episode has a lesson, a tool, a way forward, a better way to do this life. And I am grateful for it and for your time. I want to say, I want to say though, that it's not, I'm not here to teach anyone a lesson. I can simply share my experience. And if something is like, Oh, okay, that's interesting because if people think they know anything or they've got some answer, I think that's the only thing that we can really do for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if we could share and, and then people could look at it and be like, Oh, that might be interesting. I think that's really the power. I, I think if people think I have one thing figured out, I, I really, I don't, I really don't. And, and I, I hope I never really do. Yeah. Because you always, you're a learner, you're a learner, you're a lifelong learner of this world and of everything around you. You don't really seem like the type that's ever going to have it a hundred percent set up and dialed in because I just don't know that that's what you would want. I feel like you want to learn. Searching though, right? Like, yeah. You know, there's people who are endlessly searching. It's not that either. How do you find that stillness, that presence, but then saying, oh, I'll, uh, I'm interested. I'm curious. What's ahead? Mm-hmm. But you're open, right? stay open, but ping pong searching. Now I'm doing this. Now I'm doing that. That's, I'm not talking about that. No, I, I, I don't think you would be where you were if you were talking about that, or you did live your life that way. <laughs> it just doesn't seem like it at all. Can you do me a favor and let everyone know where they can listen to your wonderful show, support anything that you're doing, whether it's your clothing brand, your superfood, anything. Thank you. That's so sweet. I, um, yeah. So we have a, uh, coffee, creamer, hydrate, protein bar company called Laird Superfood. And um, I, we actually now Laird Apparel makes really badass women's clothing, leggings that I want to call it the keep it together legging um, called Laird Apparel. And then um, obviously that we have an XPT, we have a breathing app if anybody needs help with guided breathing and things like that. And, um, and then the Gabby Reese show. If people want to come hang out with me, if if any of it can uh, help or be of interest, that'd be great. You can say that more confidently next time. Jesus Christ. It's all an invitation. I'm not here to bang anyone over the head with it. Oh my God, you're ridiculous. All right, well, you stick with me. 
See, you know what? Okay, I had an epiphany about you and I. Oh my God, great. Here we go. Are we doing this on air? I can't wait. I, I love yeah. it. No, it's for real. For real. For real. I'm here for it. Go for it. Because I, I know a lot of, uh, like I, I work in, you know, performance and fitness and I coach a lot of men and big men and professional athletes and whatever, right? And I, I, I tend to keep this tone pretty clear. I mean, I might turn it up. I might be a little more focused, but it's pretty mellow as far as directive. And a lot of times I work with more compact women. Compact. That's a cute way. Compact. And I, because I thought about it and I was like, oh, if you were going to be a female and you were going to go into the military or going to go into coaching men and you were more compact, how tall are you? Five, five foot. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> hey, over here. I'm here. Over here. And so I also want to be really clear because sometimes you, you think I'm a certain way because I'm a certain way, but I'm also walking around in a different vessel that allows me to do it a certain way. Mm. I think that's a really important distinction because you have to do it how you have to do it based on sort of multiple, you know, dynamics mm -hmm. and, and and this is important to understand because you might say, oh, you're so calm. You're so this. Yeah. I'm also six foot three, 180 pounds. And I can talk to someone across and be like, Hey, this is what we're going to do today. And a lot of times I work with people and most of the general population is actually smaller than I am. It's all bullshit. Our spirits are the thing. It's not mm -hmm. the body, but let's just say in the pretend if we're in this simulation and this is how we're showing up, be clear that all of this also impacts and informs how we then go out in the world. Mm. So it, it, I don't, you know what I mean? No, I fully do. No, I fully, I fully get it. Cause even when I, even when I stepped into the pool with you, it was never about, you were never intimidating from a height perspective for me. It's not that it's just no. a space though, that you get to move a certain way and you don't have to over to be seen or heard. Mm. you can be like hey this is what we're doing and so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm honoring if you're like a CEO and you're a five five lady with your three inch heels on that sometimes you might need to be like hey people pay attention mm. right like mm -hmm. it's important to because if you're gonna you know honor where everybody's coming from then take a just take a second and look right. where they're coming from don't be like well, why do they do it that way I don't know think about it for a second take a look you know, and you're coming from military environment. It's like, hey, it's different. Yeah. Yeah, but that's what you do well. You meet people where they're at. And you hold space differently. You do. That's something I notice. And I said this. I said this to a couple of different coaches after I, after I trained with you. You meet people where they're at. You're really good at holding space in the sense of like, I'm here. I'm not going to be intimidating, but this is what I want from you. Yeah. And you meet people where they're at from a tone perspective. So like when you said to me after, you're like, you just kept going up. I just kept pulling you back down. You kept going up, kept going back. but you do a good job at that. You hold space, but you meet people where they're at, but you also see whether, like you said, you can show me whatever you think you're showing me and I'll tell you what I'm seeing. It's very different. It's very, very different. That's fair. And, and, and to be fair, I have worked hard to try to be good if you say to me hey gabby in this space right now i'm going to trust you to coach me i'm trying to be responsible steward of that for yeah. sure yeah it's true 
But also, I just want to make that delineation because mm. I think it's important because in part of that probably makes certain things have been easier for me. Mm. That's, that's all I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. No, for that's sure. All. I 100% get it. No, I hear you like loud and clear. Yeah, that's all. I just think it's really, you know, it's like being sensitive and paying attention to what people are, what they got, because then you can connect and you can be empathetic or appreciate or understand, not be like, well, why don't why do you do it this way and not that way? It's like, just look. Yeah, but that's why you're good at your show and that's why you're good with people. That's why your show's different. No, it is. It just is. There's, you can see the difference in the way you treat your guests. It's not that you treat one better or nicer or kinder than the other. You hold space differently and you're able to shift the dichotomy. You're just, you're different. It's different. Well, because the show is about them. Of course, but you're, you're good at holding that space in that container for them to show up as the best version of themselves. And because you do it in the way that you do it, they're able to show up as the best version of themselves, which is incredibly different than a lot of other shows. I don't know if you've been a guest on a lot, but come on. Well, but also if you've had a good coach or a good sergeant right. or whatever, that's what they do. Fair enough. That's the job. What do they say? Do your job. You're amazing. Okay. You know what? I need to get off with this. I need to talk to you quietly and privately. Everyone else, you stick with me. It's been Gabby Race. We'll see you all next week.